Hello. Friends, you are listening to Onward with William McCarthy live from New York City. What is good, friends? It's me here. I am celebrating the release of my second single from Trying to See the Light EP, and the song is called The Vanishing Man. I uh, just released this video that I uh, put some time and effort in directing. You might have noticed, if you haven't seen me in a while, that I have taken up making videos. Why the hell would you go into making videos? You're a singer. Well, I don't really know, to be honest. I got tired of people doing them really badly, so I decided to start doing it myself. And what that means is I just sit here in my little workspace, and I give it my all, man. I, I'm learning, and I really enjoy the medium, to be honest with you. Cameras, interfaces, external hard drives, editing. It is all a tangled web of, good Lord, what am I doing with myself here? Well, you know what I'm doing, man? I'm putting my heart into something. I'm doing my best, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. I hope you like the video. It's funny, I always try to start out doing something kind of realistic and then it just kind of starts spinning into the surreal. I'm not really sure where that comes from. Maybe that is just me saying, hey, life is real enough. <laughs> and frankly, man, uh, after spending a lot of time in New York City and in the indie scene and in London and Dublin, like there's just such a tradition of like tweeds and dark charcoal colors. I just always think about Mexico and traveling and developing countries and stuff. And what you always notice with those places is they have tremendous love for color. They activate color at every turn. And that's something that really makes me happy. I really think uh, New York City could learn a few things from that. I was just driving by the projects in my neighborhood and I looked up and I was like, wow, can't we eke out? New York City just okayed $30 million to put in a new ventilation system in the subway. Is there ever going to be a time where they say, hey, a lot of this shit is pretty ugly. Can we eke out a little bit of money to try to paint these terrible city brick buildings a little bit nicer of a color so people could feel a sense of uh, elation and uplifted,ness if that's a word, about their surroundings. I don't know. Just saying. We could use a little bit of color around here. So, yes, it ends up in my videos. So, what are you guys up to, man? How's, it, how's everything going in Armageddon? Just checking in. Always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> when life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. Always look on the bright side of life. So... Yeah, man. Things are kind of weird. I uh, have an interesting story for you. So I'm having surgery coming up here. And uh, it's basically because my... I'm not sure if I took a shot in the nose at some point. But my whole adult life, I've had a real difficult time breathing out of the right side of my nose. And it turns out that I've got something called a deviated septum. So my right nasal passage is taking a right-hand turn 
It's like a twisting, turning tunnel. And the left side has compensated by closing its airway down. So I've got these two nostrils that don't breathe very well. And I've got to do a COVID test. I just went in today and I've got to do a physical before I do this uh, surgery in December. So my, my long-standing uh, physician is named Cheng, Dr. Cheng. So uh, something happened today. It was crazy. I, I called the office to make an appointment with um, Dr. Cheng in, in New York City. If you go to like a city kind of clinic or something, they send you to the uh, they send you to like the city call center. And um, I called and I said, "Hi, you know, uh, I'm calling to make an appointment with Dr. Cheng." And the woman said, um, "I'm sorry, he is uh, no longer here." I'm like, "He's not here." Okay, wow, he lost his job. She's like, no, he's, he's no longer with us. What, what does that mean? Um, Dr. Chang is dead. I'm like, what? I'm on my phone. I'm sitting there in the car. There's rain coming down. I'm like, this is pretty sinister. What happened? She's like, Dr. Chang, uh, he, he was old. He passed away. I'm like, he wasn't that old. He was probably in his mid-50s. She's like, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm like, I, I am too. No wonder he didn't return my text. And there was this weird moment where I was like, you know, I, th I thought I knew that guy, you know, and that, that gives me some, some sense of peace that the guy didn't completely ghost me when the whole world's going up in flames. The, my doctor didn't ghost me. He actually died. That's why he didn't return my text. And then I'm like, wow, um, you know, did he... Did he leave anybody behind? She's like, he, you know, he left his wife. I'm like, he was single. The guy was lying this whole time. I'm like, Dr. Chang. And she's like, yeah. Um, you know, I'm like, that's just amazing that, that I never even heard about it, you know. And she's like, you know, Dr. Chen. I'm like, Chen? Chen? Or Chang? She's like, Dr. Chen. I'm like, can you spell that, please? C-H-E-N. Chen. No, Chang. So, I, I thought Doctor I thought Doctor Chang died, but Doctor Chen died. So, glad that you're still with us, Doctor Chang. And honestly, if Doctor Chang did die, it wouldn't even surprise me. Everything's so weird. Drive down the street, wow. Oh, Freddy's Diner, man. Wow. Oh, Freddy's Diner's gone. Okay. Uh, well, thank God there's still the so-and-so pub. No, that's gone too. Um, okay. Uh, things are here, they're not here, they're gone, the people are moving. It's just like this weird, surreal environment. I, uh, I, I, I gotta say, man, you know, I'm trying to keep myself occupied and I'm finding myself doing these narratives in my head. <laughs> Does anybody remember Doogie Howser? Was it Doogie Howser? He had all these like, no, no, no. It was Allie McBeal. Anybody remember Allie McBeal? She had all these like weird scenarios in her head. Well, I've definitely been having them. I was doing dishes last night and I was thinking in my head, like, I hate dishes. But then I was thinking, gentlemen, we have assembled the finest dishwashing force the world has ever known. You now and forevermore shall be known as Delta Force in a world starring 
Liam Neeson as William McCarthy. Delta Force. Dishes were above them. Life was below them. They soared to the sky. Delta Force. I I don't know, man. Just got like weird like Hollywood voiceover guys in my head. Now, let's talk about voiceover. I've tried to do it a little bit in some of my little documentary stuff. It's not easy. It's not easy. When you think about voiceover, you got to think about the OGs. Remember Wonder Years? We were kids. <laughs> that movie was all voiceover. And speaking of Doogie Howser, remember at the end when he just had, was on his little ghetto old-ass computer? It was a voiceover, right? It's a very powerful medium. And who is the king? Who is the king of voiceover? Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Morgan Freeman. The guy... Shawshank Redemption, half of that shit was voiceover. So when you're making films and stuff, you start noticing stuff like this. And I'm like, well, I got to get in that voiceover game. Morgan really killed it, man. Knocked it out of the park. Oh, where are we, guys? Okay, I got a new song out. I got a new EP out. Things are going really well. Um, Although the world's totally upside down and things are increasingly getting more and more scary. But the music's all right. I guess it's... uh, like Bill's Dystopian Armageddon Blues Removal Service. Door to door. Hey, can I just have a moment of your time today? We understand that you might be reeling and suffering from dystopian blues. We're going to get that cleared out for you. Just going to give you a little rock and roll tune. <laughs> mm. What else is good? No sports to speak of. Not really a, a sports dude at the moment. You know that you're deep in the arts when you look down and you realize LeBron James, the best basketball player in the past 20 years, is on his 17th season. You've never seen him play. That's when you know you're really deep. (laughs) You're really deep into your art stuff, man. You've never even seen LeBron James play. I probably should maybe get off the art music thing for a second. I'm going to try to see what the rest of the world is doing. Hmm. But there is a fella that is arguably, I'd say Dave Chappelle's probably the, the, the biggest comedian in my country, uh, with a super uh, inspiring uh, story. The guy's biography is incredible. Uh, he literally walked off of the Dave Chappelle, the Chappelle show, with, that, was, that was a massively funded, huge success. And the guy was worth a ton of money. And he literally like just said, yeah, no, nah, I'm not doing this anymore. And he left, went to South Africa, disappeared. Came back a decade later. This never happens. He came back as good or better than he ever was. And now he's doing everything on his terms. Well, in the world of uh, comedians, um, in male comedians... There was Louis C.K. He is gone. He got uh, me tooed, and rightly so. I think he was, I think he was exposing himself backstage to female uh, comics. Not cool, Louis. Louis, keep the mouse in the house, buddy. But so Louis's out. But a guy that's been kind of slowly percolating under the under the the, the public's line of, of vision there is a guy named Bill Burr. Bill Burr is, I think, what we would call on the East Coast. I think his sort of uh, his brand of comedy is he's the uh, he's the mass hole, and when I say that, I mean Massachusetts, and they're basically uh, referencing like Boston, right? Because they're kind of 
kind of ornery and there's like not great weather and they're you know there's a large like Irish American community there and this guy kind of embodies this this sort of like not giving a fuck what anybody thinks and the thing with Bill Burr is that he basically goes after white people quite a bit uh, he he talks about like road rage a lot of his stuff is misogynistic and it's it's uncomfortable right and the misogyny is obviously unnerving but the the like the the trump card ugh did i say that that actually is an old term that predates donald trump basically the the card he's got in his back pocket is he's he's married to a a, a black woman right and they they've got a great relationship they've got i think they have one or two kids and she kind of chills in the background and he goes after um, black people and white people and says crazy stuff and in this era like people are not really into that you know but I think he's, it's this wince type of humor. Anyways, so that's Bill Burr. If you ever want to check him out, if you don't know who he is, the guy's become very successful. He's sold out Madison Square Garden. Um, it's very wincy, I'm not going to lie. It's uh, a little cringy, but he's definitely smart. But coming out of this kind of sports bar, Massachusetts, like uh, veneer, right? So he goes on Saturday Night Live on Saturday and he does his monologue and he launches into one of his favorite targets is white American um, suburban women. And he does this bit about like, I guess they're called Karens. And he's, he says a couple of things and the crowd's like, <laughs> like it's the most lukewarm, unfortunate response to somebody's monologue that could ever happen. And he tries to do a couple other like turns pivots with his with his monologue and it's really a train wreck i i bill burr's cool man but like coming from the east coast like he's he you know no fucks given says what he thinks but he he, he kind of stumbles and of course i was wondering when it would happen but this massive fallout happens about bill burr and uh his poorly timed humor um and the demographic that he was basically uh, teasing or shaming, whatever you want to call it. And half of the response is that it's brilliant and that it needed to be said. And then the other half of is just like, um, yeah, not funny. Um, we've got a an African-American woman potentially that could be the vice president. We've obviously been through the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter. This was kind of not the time to play around with that. And he did. And he went in there and he kind of fell on his face. But, you know, I was like, oh, that's brutal. Because he kind of, I don't want to say he had it coming, but he's the like no fucks given guy, right? So... I was wondering when this was going to happen, and I was wondering if he would get canceled, right? So we're in the middle of cancel culture. So I decided to listen to his podcast last night just to see if he, he even acknowledged it, like, and what came of it. Mm. So I listened to it, and it's actually kind of heart-wrenching uh, that I guess when you're in entertainment, and I, it can be said that I am as well, uh, you go out there with you, you work your whole life in obscurity, trying to put together this sort of um, template that is you or a, a kind of a superhero version of you. 
you go out and you do your best to put it out in the world and you're not really ever sure what's going to get traction. Um, for example, I really like Americana music. I like world music. You might have been able to hear it a little bit in maybe a song like Cruel City, right? I, I, I worked on that song when I was... I luckily was able to go visit uh, Kenya and I was in Africa and I was like hanging out, seeing these musicians and I'm like, I'm just going to try this. So there's just like a slight, it's painted a little bit with that brush, but like it's still Augustine's or me or whatever. I also really like Americana, but sometimes these things don't get traction and the things that do are not the ones that you would expect. And people tend to like want to pour a little water on that and make that grow. And it, for some reason, Bill Burr's grumpy, um, over it, tell it how it is brand of humor probably isn't how we started out, but that's what's worked for him. So he gets on this thing, he fails, I'm listening to his podcast, and he goes into how honored he was to be there, how hard everyone works that's there, how nervous he was that he had a panic attack. And because of COVID, he wasn't able to workshop these jokes. I guess uh, when a comedian comes in, they let them go do kind of secret pop-up shows. And they keep them on stage all week so they can work through that monologue. And I didn't really realize like how much work goes into it. But also, <clears throat> another weird thing about Bill Burr, who's married to an African-American woman, uh, and he's from Massachusetts, is he's also a huge heavy metal fan, apparently. And he went on, and uh, Jack White was on at the same time. Also, Eddie Van Halen had died of cancer. Eddie Van Halen, obviously the maverick guitar player for Van Halen, uh, that really, um, really redefined what guitar could be in a rock and roll band. Yet again, after, say, like a Hendrix or a Stevie Ray Vaughan, then we've got Eddie Van Halen, late 70s all the way through the 80s, and Bill Burr's a huge fan, so they're kind of honoring him, and Jack White went on Saturday Night Live and brought a guitar that Eddie Van Halen had given him and did sort of this tribute. So <laughs> there's Bill Burr in this podcast talking about like how he was moved to tears, he had panic attacks, he totally cracked, he didn't get a chance to like work through the material very well, and he wasn't apologizing for it, he was just really just showing his cards as like a vulnerable human being that um, is not very great at some things. And, but he talks about in this podcast, um, basically the fragility of performers and how you can't go out and speak to an, a crowd or an audience as in asking a question like, this is my joke and it's funny, right? And the crowd like, <laughs> he's, he's like, You've got to step up and just say your joke, own it, live with it, and fuck them if they don't get it. And I've got to be honest, I related a lot to that. Not his subject matter, but that you've really got to stand there. And if you've got something to say, you've got to say it and live with it. I have called people out from the from for the microphone on stage for like repeatedly talking when everyone's trying to listen. I've called out the clubs that I'm playing in for not letting us have air conditioning. I've called out I've run my mouth so much on stage and that's the that's how it works. You just have to have complete conviction and know that like, hey, deep down inside like my you know, my my radar's good. I'm a balanced person and this is how I saw it in the moment. And it's just amazing to see a masterful comic like a Chappelle or a, or a Bill Burr 
go up there and bomb in his big mainstream moment. And uh, I, I just got to, I don't know. It's like, I, I want to give the guy a hug because it's like, man, you really bombed on Saturday Night Live. But if, if you galvanize your base and people come to your aid, and is that a bomb? I don't know. That's entertainment. Um, and, and not an easy path to take. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I will discuss my plans for the winter. Stay tuned. You are listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from New York City. This is Bill McCarthy, and I'm sitting here in my downstairs here in New York City, and I'm just making this podcast for you. Uh, I wanted to say that, you know, something really beautiful happened a couple weeks ago. I was lucky enough to meet up with Eric Sanderson from Augustine's, and we went out to the park, and if you've ever been to London, people all kind of get together in the park. And they have these kind of little hibachis and stuff. And everybody does this sort of park hangout thing. People do it in New York too, but uh, not as as much as London. But the other day we had this idea that we were going to pull out our instruments and just sort of play for people. And and we went out and uh, Eric brought a stand-up bass and I got to run songs with Eric. And I got to tell you, we are nearing the four-year mark. When I look at my Facebook, I uh, I can see the feed, and the feed is a lot of like people's memories. And I guess this week we were in, four years ago we were in, <clears throat> I think we were coming back from Ireland back to Great Britain. I think we were in, in Brighton in the UK. And I'm playing with Eric, and it is, it is, a, it is a really kind of uh, inspiring thing to just make a set list and just say, okay, go. And the thing that was really fascinating about it was that I have been, I've never, I haven't stopped. Right. Like, so I did, I went, I, uh, my first band, so I was solo. Then I started Pela in like maybe 2002. Um, I was in Pela till 2000, 2009, And then from 2009, I was off and working on getting Risey Sunken Ships out. I think it debuted in 2011. And then from 2011 to 2016, is that correct? Um, I was in Augustine's. And then from 2017 till now, I've been solo. So I haven't really stopped playing these songs and stopped playing like weekly and, and even daily. Uh, Eric had a, had a son and Eric's been producing. So Eric hasn't run these songs and it was just completely mind blowing to see, uh, somebody just kind of parachute into an old set list that they haven't played in a while and just see how well he did. And on a different instrument, stand up bass is basically like playing a refrigerator with a fretboard on it. Those things are huge and they're actually pretty hard on your right hand. Uh, so 
he jumped in there and I was looking over at him and like, I, you know, when you really start playing with people, you kind of stop looking over at each other because you're just kind of, you're good enough to play, um, without kind of communicating with your eyes or communicating with your, your, your body and your ears and you're feeling it out. And I just, I did that immediately and I looked over and there was Eric. We we're playing, you know, people were walking around with their kids or their dogs or whatever they were doing at the park. And it was, it was really cool. It was like, wow, I'm playing with Eric and it's, uh, it's kind of challenging right now. Right? Like, um, I've gotten an offer to play a show for a radio station called Flux FM in Berlin. And I think I'm supposed to just kind of film it at my house. And it's, it is so strange for everyone right now, right? Like, um, it's strange for athletes playing for like, you know, canned, applause coming out of speakers and it's strange for people getting involved in the playoffs of baseball or soccer or whatever and it's like is this really life this is so strange but for us I've got to play into a camera or a laptop right so I mean there's no applause there's no energy and I, I guess with all these things in life you just kind of got to say hey this is yet another test and tribulation and a long line of them and I've got to sort of pass this test and this test is to see how much mojo I can muster and see if it translates right so I'm getting a lot of that I'm I'm going to Cleveland um, in a couple weeks to go play a show I just returned from playing in Colorado um, next month I'm going to be in California and Florida and I have started flying now, this is weird I will tell you the lines are a lot better than they used to be. I did get sat next to people. And it is creepy that people literally are not wearing their mask like on the airplane. I went to the deli last night to get something. And uh, there's people like I'd say 75% of people were not wearing masks. Now, it is near the projects. And I feel like, I don't know, <clears throat> it's really hard to see people in poverty like not taking this seriously, but I can understand the distrust of uh, media and so on and just saying, like, you don't know how it is for us. Like, why am I going to do your stupid rules? And I, I, I understand that, but it, it is hard to see um, because I thought that all of us wearing the mask, it wasn't a reflection of if we um, believed this was really happening or not. It was more of a consideration and a courtesy for others. Uh, so as to not, in case we were a, uh, super spreader, uh, that we wouldn't like be getting other people sick, but I guess that gets lost and especially in a headstrong, um, country like the United States. So look, I, I'm not a political guy. You guys know that I, I, I try to keep track of things. It just seems like just unbelievable stuff. The elections are coming. Wish us luck. I guess I'll just leave it there. Not much. I don't even want to go down that path. Um, it's been a hell of a year. I hope you guys are all doing well. I've really done my best to try to reach out to people, write to people, respond to people. And I really wanted to thank you. It is not easy, um, funding, uh, producing, editing, video editing, making your own work and going out. And your reward is to play for a laptop. It's not easy right now. <clears throat> I also wanted to say thank you. You know, I just saw something, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Amazon is now doing Amazon Music, 
which is basically their shot at the Spotify thing. And I have recently taken my music off of Spotify. And the reason I've done that is because somebody has to do it at some point. Because the truth is, is that if Amazon's going to co-opt music in with their Whole Foods grocery cart, their, their, you know, their own basic post office, um, online shopping and music and Amazon move films. It's like, I mean, it's like Walmarting the whole entire output of every industry possible. And I just, you know, I want people to be able to listen to my music, but it's like, look, if I have to be the guy at the farmer's market selling Brussels sprouts on a Sunday afternoon hungover because people are buying direct and that's how I'm going to feed my family. Um, then I'm going to have to do that. So that's what I am doing. Amazon Music, best of luck to you. I enjoy Spotify myself. I make playlists and so on. But to be honest, man, it has really devalued everything that we do. Short story. This record that I have made, I have I had to come up with the money, right? Records cost money. So when I think of a producer or the studio setup, that's Eric. That's Eric and me. So for me to pay Eric for his time, he's a father. Uh, he's an artist. He deserves to make a living. I'm not going to talk that guy down on his price. He deserves that. So <clears throat> it costs money. Like the the record cost twenty grand, cost twenty thousand dollars to make, right? And if I stayed on Spotify, I would just take that loss. And as we know, during a economic crisis and a pandemic, I can't do that. So I'm selling my music direct and it's helping me recoup of which I am not yet. It's helping me like get the money back into the pot so I can make more records. Right. And I would just really hope that other artists become brave enough and don't drink the Kool-Aid and say, Hey, I can be on a playlist. I'll get a bunch of views. It's like, cool. Does that change your life? Or does it just more people see a digital representation of who you are floating around in their iPhone? I'm at the point where I want to make art and music um, as much as possible, and I want to be able to fund it since the whole world has shifted. And I just want to say thank you for the people that have gone to Bandcamp and who are supporting what I'm doing, because it's not just me. It's supporting um, my friends like Eric, like Joe McElhinney, other people, um, Panos, Rob Allen, Thomas Salav from Palo. Like, it's helping all of us, like, do this. So when you buy direct... You're actually helping us. And, uh, and frankly, you're helping other fans who want to know whatever the hell happened. What happened to Frank Black? What happened to Husker Du? What happened to, you know, like we're fans. We, wanna, we want to be plugged into what's going on out there in music. And like you're helping that community too because more music's getting made. So I'll get off my, uh, my soapbox there and <clears throat> just say thank you kindly. It really helps. And we are going to recoup all of this and we are going to make more music. I am going to direct things. I am going to continue on. So if you're going to go ahead and be weird, planet Earth, and we're going to be in some dystopian Armageddon landscape for a while, then damn it, let's get it on. Let's get weird. I'm going to get weirder and weirder. I don't care. I'm going with it. Operation go with it. So that's all for today. Um... Love and respect to you guys. I know it's hard. There is, it is getting chilly, but you can go outside, take walks. It's time for us all to kind of diversify and look at different aspects of what it means to be alive, what our relationships mean to us, 
um, what expression, uh, what role and how valuable that is for all of us to express ourselves right now. Write a memoir, write a short story, hand make your Christmas cards this year. Um, express yourself, man. It's helping me. Last night I came in this room at 11 o'clock at night and I literally pulled open a guitar and I just played by myself, for myself, for my heart, to try to even everything out, try to keep everything even keeled and keep my heart and head in a good place. So I'm wishing you guys all balance and um, that we get through this and quickly. I love you guys. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, I'm signing off. You've been listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from New York City.